0: wasn't awesome worship yeah. it's so awesome to worship our father in heaven and uh just to be together in this room you know we just have this privilege to come together so freely and uh you know as pastor X says uh someday we might lose this privilege so let's just uh, taste and see that the lord is good Amen. all right everybody got their coffee and donuts and goodies Yeah, I was uh, looking at some of your faces, and you're looking at me like, oh man, they let this troublemaker up here again. Is he going to rap again or something? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, don't worry, I'm not going to rap for you today. But uh, why don't we get started with a word of prayer. Gracious Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy towards us. Thank you, Lord, for your word that nourishes our souls. Thank you, Lord, for sending your Son to die for us, that in him we may have life, and life abundantly. Thank you for your Spirit, Lord God, that dwells in us and shows us how to live, how to love, how to learn to be more Christ-like every day. And Father, forgive me of my sins, that I may be righteous and true in your sight. And I ask for your anointing, Lord, that you fill me and guide me with your wisdom. That these words that I speak would be from you, Lord, and not of my own strength. And Father, I commit all our sisters and brothers to you. Lord God, especially those who are sick, those who are hurting, those who just need to come back to you, Lord. And we commit them all in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, I'm going to speak to you on James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. And uh, this section focuses on. Patience and perseverance. Patience and perseverance. Something that I think we all struggle with one time or another. You know, I uh, I work in the tech support industry, and uh, a lot of times I talk with customers who think it's the end of the world because they're having some software issue, and it's, it's like there's nothing else. Like, oh, I'm doing so bad. Oh, can you help me? And, uh, you know, it's just interesting how the Lord guides me with wisdom and, you know, get them out of that zone of just being so depressed because of a computer problem and, you know, let's fix this. Let's get it out of the way so you can go about your day and be productive. But, uh, you know, you've heard of the cliche, patience is a virtue. We've all heard that said, and have you thought about what that actually means? So, for something to be virtuous, it must exhibit some component of morally good behavior. So, let's say if we merely define patience on its own as, you know, waiting on something without complaining, what's moral about that? Say, for example, you know, after this study, uh, we all go out to In-N-Out Burger down the street there, and, you know, sounds good, huh? But, uh, you know, if we place our order at the window, then we're just... Waiting for it to get done and be prepared, and you know we're just talking together, having a great time. Hey, uh, we're we're waiting and we're not complaining, but uh, are we being patient? Are we being virtuous? So there must be some other component that makes patience a virtue, and it usually involves enduring a measure of discomfort without complaining. I don't like discomfort. I don't know about you, but it's not something I really like. <laughs> So, I'll give you an example. And since uh, Brother Andy last week liked to talk about his comic book collection, I'll entertain you with a story about the latest engine that I put together for a car of mine. <laughs> and if you recall back in June when I taught on Chapter 2 of James, uh, yep, it's that 331 cubic inch tire shredding beast. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, this old car, the original motor was on its last legs and, uh, started planning on replacing it with a high performance variant with certain specifications. That's just the fancy way of saying more power. Yeah. So, you know, I took it to the Lord and budgeted it out and, uh, started looking, you know, for engines out, out for sale. And lo and behold, on Craigslist, there it was, man, uh, A Mustang drag racing shop. Uh, They had an engine all built together with the parts that I wanted. And uh, it had all the go-fast goodies, you know, trick-flow cylinder heads, probe-forged pistons, and uh, stroke crank. And, man, everything in the right price range. I I went over and uh, took a look at it, and everything looked good. And, man, rebuilt engine with zero miles and just the right price. Man, I was stoked for this thing. So, uh, you know, I put it in my Jeep and trucked it home and, you know, started moving things around in the garage to uh, be able to take the old motor out and put the new one in. So, you know, you got to prep the motor, take accessories on from the old one, put it on the new one. And uh, that's where the lesson of patience began. (laughs) Dum, dum, dum. So, uh, first thing that happened... You guys know what an oil filter is, right? You know, it goes on the engine, it purifies the oil as you're driving. So I started putting the oil filter on, and uh, I'm screwing this thing on, and when it ends where I can't screw it anymore, I'm like, man, this thing is crooked. It's not even hooking on properly. And uh, it was all bent out of shape. I'm like, you know, if I run the motor like this, oil is just going to gush out and destroy it. So it made me suspicious. So then I started looking at the cylinder heads, and uh, then I look at this one valve, and it's totally bent. And, uh, you know, if a valve is bent, it's not going to go up and down. It's just going to break in there. There goes your cylinder. So uh, this was not looking good. So it concerned me to the point where I must have gotten frustrated, and I took the entire motor apart down to the last nut and bolt, and uh, sure enough, I found more problems. So, uh, you know, I went to the machine shop down here on Walnut and uh, been taking this guy work for most of my life. But uh, to make a long story short, it took about eight months of repair work to correct all the stuff that this Mustang shop had done incorrectly, before this motor could be reassembled properly. So, was this ordeal giving me discomfort? Oh, yeah. <laughs> was I complaining? Oh, man, how I wanted to. <laughs> but, you know, through it all, the Lord was teaching me that He was in control and He would bring things to fruition in His perfect timing. So I kept thinking, you know, if I took that motor, put it in the car and started it as is, man, that would have uh, just literally blown up and there goes all that hard work and money. But, you know, the Lord is so good. He prevented a major catastrophe and in the process he taught me a great deal. And, uh, you know, this car is really special to me because I've had it for a long time. And uh, it's the car that I drove my grandparents around in. And, uh, you know, uh, when I taught back in June, you know, I I gave a little testimony about their lives, how, you know, my grandparents really loved the Lord. They were amazing witnesses wherever they went, and uh, they just lived exemplary Christ-like lives. And, you know, it's just a humbling reminder. Every time I turn that key now and this beast comes to life, You know, that's what I remember. And it's just just so neat how, you know, the Lord uses things that we have to remind us of his goodness and his blessings upon our lives. So enough about engines. So last week, Brother Andy uh, covered the first six verses of Chapter 5, and he was stressing the importance of being careful of how wealth is attained, about making an honest living, And being wary of this world and its temptations, it can be very easy to get caught up in the materialistic things around us. And if we're not careful to seek the Lord, or the Lord's will in our finances and possessions, these can ultimately lead us astray from the purpose the Lord has called all people to. And that's to repent from our sins and to live for Jesus Christ. So, you know, that was quite a... Quite a bunch of things that were said about the non believing rich who were attaining wealth at the expense of others. So, why don't we read the text for today, James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12? It says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. These are quite heavy words, and uh, just like the lessons I learned, uh, There's always more to learn about patience and persevering. So let's begin with verse 7. The first word there is, therefore. And therefore refers to a transition from the word spoken immediately before in the section. So in verses 1 through 6, James was addressing the non-believer rich. And specifically their oppressive behavior towards the poor believer. And there are some pretty heavy adjectives here describing things. It talks about riches that were corrupted, garments that were moth-eaten, gold and silver that was corroded. Well, they withheld wages from the laborers with fraud, and they condemned and murdered the just. So they were increasing their treasures on earth rather than thinking about heavenly things. In Matthew chapter 6... Verses 19 to 21, Jesus was teaching his disciples on the mountain, and he said to them, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Now, in this section here, in verse 7, James is addressing the brethren, the believers, the poor believers. And, you know, he's stressing to them to just endure, to hold on until the coming of the Lord. And what does the coming of the Lord mean to us as believers? In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, it says, For the grace of God... That brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. The blessed hope we have is in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In John chapter fourteen, verses one through three, you know Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there. You may be also, isn't that an awesome picture being with the Lord, waiting until the coming of the Lord, enduring and just looking and seeking his face, regardless of our physical condition here on earth. Now there's a really neat picture being painted here about the farmer Precious fruit of the earth, and uh, think about this—you um, know—in context, the uh, the poor of that day. What example would have been really easy for them to understand? You know, farming, planting seeds, plants growing, fruit being produced and harvested, and uh, you know, this is God's provision and grace in meeting our needs. He takes care of those who follow Him, and those who do not, He cares for the ungrateful and. Those who are thankful, but you know, God does this because He wants all to come to Him. Luke chapter six verse thirty-five says, "says uh, But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful." Now, think about this: uh, if you were a farmer during that time. Most likely you didn't have irrigation or those you know, remote sprinklers that you could turn on anytime you wanted to water your field. So you were completely dependent on the rain for a successful harvest and your livelihood to feed your family. There is mention of early rain and latter rain in this verse as well, and got me thinking about the significance of this. So, In the seasons, the former rain usually came in during October and November. And thank God we got some rain uh, this past week. And the latter rain, or late rain, occurred sometime in uh, March or April. So as a farmer in that day, you would plant your crops in October or November, and then, Lord willing, you had a nice harvest come March and April, and you'd be able to feed your family, make your living, and uh, also feed your community. So, uh, you know, aside from the amazing fact that the Lord somehow provides rain from fluffy things in the sky, um, you ever thought about the ingenuity he has done in the life cycle of planting and harvesting? So say, uh, you know, you plow your field, then you sow your seed and, uh, you ever, uh, looked at a seed or have you ever bitten in, into a piece of fruit and then bit into that hard seed? Or have you ever had a salad and, uh, you know, a seed comes in and you're like, ouch. Um, You know, the seeds are very hard and dry. And uh, looking at it, it's like, man, this thing is completely lifeless. What can it do? So, uh, you know, the seed can't do anything until it gets the early rain to allow it to soften the outside, which will actually start the germination process. Now... I kind of had a parallel to talk about this. Consider this. um, You know, Christ provides living waters for us. Do we allow his living waters to soften our outside, our hearts, that the Holy Spirit would penetrate us and renew us from the inside out? Or uh, do I harden my heart and uh, push Christ aside? And, you know, without that water... You know, the seed's not going to germinate. And without the living waters of Christ, we can't sprout out. We can't develop into Christ like believers. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 through 8, it says Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spread out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green. And will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. So now, with all this water, the the seed sprouts and starts to grow, but constant watering is necessary for growth into maturity. You know, right about when my uh, nephew was going to be born, uh, I I ate a grapefruit and it was really good. So uh, you know, I took some of the seeds and put some soil and put the seeds in a little mug in the kitchen and uh, started watering it every day. And, you know, I saw a little sprout coming out from one of the seeds and slowly but surely every day. It kept growing, it kept growing, got greener, sprouted leaves. And now after seven months, it's like five inches tall and it's singing praises to the Lord, just like my little nephew. It's just cool how, uh, you know, God puts tangible examples to show how life can grow, how it can mature. And, uh, you know, God is in everything. Everything sings his praises. You know, patience and long suffering is a manifestation of God's agape love in Galatians chapter five, 22 to 23. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love. And we see the manifestations of it. Joy, joy, peace long suffering then you got kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self control against such things there is no law you know uh, lord is merciful to everybody and he just wants everyone to come to repentance that none should perish in second peter chapter 3 verse 9 lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness But is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And in Luke chapter 6, verses 35 to 36, it says, But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. And this is where I want to do a transition to verse nine, continuing with Luke 6:37. And uh, if you look at verse nine, it says, "Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door." And Luke 6:37 it says, "Judge not, and ye shall not be judged; condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned; forgiven, you will be forgiven." Continuing in 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put in your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. So, do we grumble against one another? Do we complain and look at all the negative sides? Or uh, are we careful to examine ourselves first and see what the Lord is trying to show us? In Philippians chapter 2 verse 14 it says do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain in uh, John chapter 6:43 You know, Jesus gave a command. He said, Jesus, therefore, answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. And uh, in first Peter, chapter four, seven through 12, I'm going to read some of it here. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We've got some uh, interesting examples of grumbling and murmuring in the Old Testament. Let's look at Exodus chapter 16, verses 6 through 8. It says Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At the evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to be full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us. But against the Lord. Think about this. We are made in the image of God. And if we grumble against one another, we're ultimately grumbling against God our Creator. Something to think about. On let's see, Psalm one oh six, verses twenty three to twenty-five. This is quite a stern warning, uh, Therefore he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe in his word, but complained in their tents and did not heed the voice of the Lord. When we're not listening to God, you know, that reflects the condition of our hearts and There's a direct correlation between seeking the Lord and how we act. And, uh, you know, I I see this as a very stern warning. If we keep grumbling and mumbling and complaining, you know, thank goodness Christ is an intercessor for us. And uh, and as long as we confess our sins and be right with, with Him, I wouldn't want to be on the bad end of God's wrath. So let's move on to verse 10. Is my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. I don't think I want to be an example of suffering and patience. Um, I want to give you two examples here. Prophet Jeremiah. He was warned by God that kings, princes, priests, and the people of Judah would fight against him. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 17 through 19, it says, therefore prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. For behold, I have made you by this day a fortified city and an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, against the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. Imagine God telling you, everybody's going to fight against you, they're going to attack. Oh, boy. In addition to that, Jeremiah was threatened and greatly afflicted in many ways because his message was unpopular. Jeremiah chapter 18, 5 through 8. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, Can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck up, to pull down, to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. People didn't like this message, and... They spoke against Jeremiah and refused to listen to his words. Look at the same chapter, Jeremiah 18, verse 18. Then they said, Come and let us devise plans against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come, let us attack him with tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words. Ouch. They also mocked and ridiculed him. Jeremiah 20, verse 7. O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Derision meaning they're laughing at him. Everybody mocks me. He was physically abused. He was put in stocks, according to chapter 20, verse 2. They put him in stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. He was chained. Look at uh, Jeremiah 40, verse 1. When they had taken him, bound in chains among all who were carried away captive from Jerusalem and Judah, who were carried away captive to Babylon. He was placed in a pit and left to die, though he was eventually rescued. Jeremiah 38, verse 6. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchia, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. And in the dungeon there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. Man, just thinking about how faithful this prophet was just to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, to be the mouthpiece of God and proclaim the truth to the people. And, you know, he didn't fail. The next prophet uh, I want to bring up is the prophet Ezekiel. He was called on by God to suffer something that would leave him with an empty place in his broken heart. So God had Ezekiel suffer this affliction so that he could show Jewish captives in Babylon just how evil the nation of Judah had been and God's punishment that was required because of their wicked ways. Um, Ezekiel chapter twenty-four, first part of 16, it says, Son of man, behold, I take away from you the desire of your eyes with one stroke. What was the desire of his eyes? His wife. She was going to die. Which was bad enough, but God would not allow him to mourn for his wife. Moving to chapter 24, second part of 16. You shall neither mourn nor weep, nor shall your tears run down. Can you imagine? God commanded Ezekiel not to mourn or cry. He couldn't take off his hat. He couldn't put ashes on his head. He couldn't walk barefoot or cover his lips or eat any of the food that would be brought to him as a a mourning offering. And all these things were customary at the time. Chapter 24, verse 17. Sigh in silence. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind your turban on your head and Put your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your lips and do not eat man's bread of sorrow. So Ezekiel was not to take any comfort offered to him when his wife died. He was to get up, get dressed, and get on with his work without showing any outward sign of mourning. I think that would be terribly hard to do after losing a loved one. And on top of that, imagine having to explain to everybody why you're not mourning the death of your wife. I'm sure the people were puzzled and they were, they were really confused why he was acting that way. Chapter 24, verse 19, and the, and the people said to me, Will you not tell us what these things signify to us, that you behave so? So why did God require such suffering and affliction by Ezekiel? If we look at chapter 24, verse 24, we get the answer, and it says, Thus Ezekiel is assigned to you, according to all that he has done you shall do, and when this comes you shall know that I am the Lord God. He was assigned to the Jewish captives of how they would react when Jerusalem, the desire of their eyes, was destroyed by Babylon. They would do just as Ezekiel did. And just thinking about all this, you know, Ezekiel must have had such great courage and patience to obey God's commands and be a sign for his nation. What exemplary behavior. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There is no maybe or possibly. The fact is that We who live godly will suffer. And affliction just comes with the territory of being faithful to God because we live in a fallen world. Moving to another great example of suffering and perseverance. In verse 11 of James 5, Indeed we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. Job, as an example of enduring great suffering affliction through patience, he was described as a righteous man. In Job chapter 1, verse 1, it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. He desired to please God completely and wholeheartedly. In Job chapter 23, verse 12, it says, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the word of his mouth more than my necessary food. And we look at Job's wealth, his family. You know, he had seven sons and three daughters. He was very wealthy. He was very prominent socially, very well known. And uh, whenever he spoke and said something, everybody listened. You know, he was ruined financially. His children were unmercifully destroyed and his health was brought to ruin. You know, Satan got involved in Job's life and tried to destroy him spiritually. You know, there's uh, the first confrontation that there was between uh, Satan, Job, and, and God. And the first part is in Job 1, 6 through 12. And, you know, Satan starts doing his... Nasty deeds against Job takes away his economical wealth and uh, you know tries to get him to sin against God and complain against God. So think about it: If we lose our jobs or our wealth, do we b- blame God? Or uh, can we say, you know, knowing God's character, knowing that he is faithful, he knows what he's doing, and he will provide for us. Let's see what Job's response was to everything that just happened to him. Job chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. Then Job arose, tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. You know, Job accepted what happened to him and did not blame God for being unjust. And Satan failed. Satan tried again, and, you know, the evil one never gives up. You know, you look at chapter 2 of Job, verses 1 through 6, and Satan then tried to wreck Job's health with sores and boils and extreme suffering and pain. He was in excruciating torment and anguish and, and you know, it's very descriptive about you know he was throwing ashes on his skin, and it's just hard to imagine, you know, um, I know if I get a, a burn on my hands from working on a hot engine, it hurts, and just having that all over your body and not complaining and remaining faithful to the Lord. Job chapter 2, verse 10, In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Shall we accept good from God and not accept adversity? And in all that Job did, he did not sin with his lips. Now, through all this, um, in the end, God actually blessed Job doubly from what he had initially. Even more so than what he had given him in the beginning. And in Job 42, 10-17, we, we read, you know, So Job died being old and full of days. He had great patience to endure, endure the tremendous afflictions he went through, and he never turned his back on God. Can we say that we can do the same? You know, think about all our sisters and brothers today abroad. You know, those who are proclaiming the truth in nations where their lives are at stake. If they confess the name of Jesus, their heads come off. If they try to meet in church, somebody's ready to snatch them and torture them. You know, Christian Disneyland, as our pastor says. Let's take advantage of it and meet with each other and enjoy the worship, the fellowship, and prayer as much as we can. Because, uh, you know, suffering, it can happen at any time, and it will happen, but we've got to be ready for it. You know, the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. And in the end, just as uh, in verse 8, the coming of the Lord is at hand, and that's what our focus should be, not our physical circumstances. For the Lord is good. He will take care of all our needs while we occupy on this earth. He's going to give us the work that we must do because we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He prepared beforehand that we may dwell in them. And uh, let's look at the last verse here, verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. So this is the section for swearing. Have we sweared? Do we make it a habit to try not to swear? In Matthew chapter 6, verses 33 to 37, it says, Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. That's a pretty hefty uh, command and something to take to heart. And this kind of made me think about, you know, what would be the reason for me swearing at all? Um, is my word good with those around me? What is my reputation with my immediate family? How about my church family? How about my friends? How about at work? When I tell my boss something, you know, something that I had to do, um, can he trust me at my word that it got done properly? And do my coworkers, do they trust me if uh, there's something they need help on or something I need help with, you know? Can I be entrusted to do these things without swearing on this or that? Is my word good, and am I a good example to be Christ-like? So I'm going to give you an example of uh, trusting and swearing. And uh, it's going to be another car story. So uh, I have this friend from high school. We used to be in varsity tennis together. Um, Unfortunately, he's not a believer, but we've just been good friends over the years. And uh, he lives two blocks up from me. And uh, he has this 1971 Dodd Challenger that's been in his family. They bought it brand new from the showroom. And, uh, you know, he remembers the car as a kid, and his parents used to drive him around in it. And then eventually he drove it. Uh, so this is something near and dear to him. And, um, and unfortunately, you know, the car has kind of been neglected. So uh, it's showing rust, motor is burned up, and uh, it's in physical dismay and uh, needs a lot of meticulous repair. So um, it, the Dodge Challenger is actually a very desirable car on the market. You know, it's a two-door muscle car and uh, especially one like this where it has been unaltered from its original state. You know, it has all the original body panels, all the original trim, the engine, transmission. They call it matching numbers. You know, something like that, if you restored it, um, it would be worth a lot of money. And even in the uh, poor condition it's in now, it's worth, you know, quite a few thousands of dollars so i'm just painting that picture so that you can understand you know to my friend this is a very valuable physical thing so um you know i i talked with him and uh he wanted to restore it so uh you know i agreed to help him out with it so uh we brought it over to my place and uh, put it in the backyard put a nice canopy over it so i could work on it and uh so this is where the story gets interesting. And uh, let me just give you a preview that I got to ride in a police cruiser. Okay, it was in the front seat, not the back seat. So uh, the Lord has not called me to the prison ministry from the inside just yet. Okay? So uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, you know, I was at church here after the new service, and... Uh, You know, my parents live next door, and uh, they tend to come over more often than staying at their place. (laughs) Because they like to check on everything. So, uh, you know, uh, I got a call from my dad. It was probably about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, right after church. We were cleaning up the stage after worship. And, uh, you know, he he was frantic, and he was saying, you know, uh, the window on this challenger was bashed in. And I'm like... What happened, Dad? And my immediate concern was, you know, was there some hooligan in the house, you know, bashing windows? And, uh, you know, is my family in danger? And, you know, how extensive is this damage? So, uh, you know, uh, I just left church immediately, and I sped off home, and uh, Miss Lisa will attest to the uh, patches of rubber I left on Sierra Madre Boulevard. (laughs) You know, uh I was concerned and but uh you know, after peeling out the first couple of times, then the Lord said to me, "Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything with <laughs> prayer and supplication, <laughs> so I got calm after that, so uh you know, I got home and uh went into the backyard, and uh sure enough, the driver's side window was completely shattered on the car, so I called the police, and uh an officer came. And started looking at evidence, see what had happened here. And the funny thing is, you know, it just didn't make sense. Why would a vandal just bash one window on the car and uh, take nothing else? And uh, I'm looking around in the yard. The other car is fine. The house is fine. But I started looking around the car, and there were literally hundreds of these little BB pellets just all around the car. So, you know, things slowly started making sense. The neighbors behind me, they got two teenage kids and uh, had problems with them before. And, you know, when the parents leave the kids unattended, they tend to go wild with their toy guns. And when the cousins come, it turns into a party. So, uh, you know, talked with the officer and uh, decided that, you know, let's go knock on their door. See if we can figure out what happened here. So, you know, I rode in the police car in the front seat <laughs> and went to the back block and uh, knocked on the door. You should have seen the look at these of these parents. They're like, we knock and they open the door and they're like, blank stare, uh, come in. <laughs> they were totally not expecting a police officer. So, uh, you know, then we explained the situation and, you know, that, you know, a couple hundred of these BBs were littered around the car and there was some property damage and uh, and that most likely, you know, we can't really prove it, but most likely these BBs caused that glass to shatter. And, you know, on a classic car like this, it's not like you can go down to a Safe light Auto Glass and get something. It's going to cost... So, you know, um, started talking with the parents and uh, then, uh, you know, the the boys are 14 and 10 years old and uh, parents called them down and started talking to them and, and the older child, you know, we were saying, well, were you using the gun at the time? He's like, uh, I was, but I swear, I swear, I wasn't shooting at the car, okay? Okay? And he was just going on and on, like frantic. Well, there was the undeniable convicting evidence that, you know, couldn't be denied. He might not have intended to shoot at the car, but he did. But the swearing what did it do for his reputation? Nothing. If anything, it actually uh, gave him less of a reputation rather than saying, you know, yeah, you know, we were playing with the guns and, and we might have done something wrong. Maybe. So, um, you know, it, it's something that you got to consider, you know. Can people take me for my word? Can they trust me? with my word that I'm going to be reliable, that I'm going to be there when I say I am. Um, you know, Mickey with our sound ministry, he says, uh, be there. If we have to be there at seven, he says, be there at six fifty nine. 59. And uh, he says, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. If you're late, you're very late. <laughs> Something to consider. Um, you know, through it all, I wanted to present this particular story because uh, there's a lot of good that the Lord works out even when you don't expect it. So now that we got the swearing aside and no one's going to swear anymore, right? Especially not this 14-year-old. They haven't played with their BB guns for three weeks now. Thank God. And I had to move the car into the garage because I don't want any more damage on this car. Um, Romans 8.28, it says... And we know that all things work together for good, for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So, a little more detail on the conversation I had with the parents. So, as the officer was explaining, you know, what happened and the damage that went on, you know, the opportunity presented itself to take this from an earthly conversation to more of a spiritual conversation. So, I got the lowdown on what happened to this family that day. So, Sunday morning, the dad, he's, these guys are Armenian, by the way, they're my peeps. (laughs) And uh, the dad goes to an Orthodox church. So, in the morning, the dad had wanted to take the family to church. And guess what? The family didn't want to go. So he got very upset, and he went by himself to church. So, then a few hours later, the wife wanted to go to her church. She's Catholic. okay. And then she wanted to take the kids to church with her. So dad's gone to his church, mom wants the kids to go. Guess what? Kids don't want to go. So they were uncooperative said and stayed home. So this is where it gets really interesting. And these were the very words from the mom's mouth. And she said, The Lord has a way of dealing with each of you. So, you know, mom, mom is off to church, dad is off to his church, and kids go wild, start shooting BBs, they destroy a window, damage property, and a nice police officer shows up at their door. Talk about the Lord dealing with you in His timing. On top of that, um, this was the Sunday that uh, we had the concert outreach with Madison Cunningham. And the Lord is so cool. I got a chance to invite them to the concert. And, uh, you know, I, I was in the sound booth. You know, we had just completed sound check right about you yeah, 545 605 sometime around there and just waiting you know for the show to begin and uh and then out of the corner of my eye i see this couple walk in they sit right next to the booth and then i turn around and i say hey how are you guys oh it's you <laughs> isn't it so cool you know they got to hear the gospel message and yeah, the Lord used this, uh, this interesting situation, patience, perseverance, discomfort, peeling out, yeah, and, and you know, uh, my prayer is that this family would uh, continue to seek the Lord. Um, you know, they stayed for the whole thing, they stayed for the message, and I'm very grateful to the Lord for that unfortunately no so uh, I think uh, I might have to call that police officer again and the really cool thing was the police officer was also a believer it's like how does the Lord orchestrate these things and in closing I want to read Psalm 145 verses 8 through 9 the Lord is gracious and full of compassion slow to anger And of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. You know, as James is talking to us about being patient and persevering in our lives, let's look to the coming of the Lord, remembering that He is gracious, that He is full of compassion, that in His example He is slow to anger, abounding in love, full of mercy. And he's promised to take care of us completely, fully, until he takes us home. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord, for all your goodness among us. Thank you, Lord, for this time where we were able to study your word and seek your will in your face. And Lord God, I just pray for everyone here and everyone who will be hearing this message. That, Lord, you would penetrate our hearts. Check us, Lord. Show us where we fall short. That, Lord, we may be humble, that we may confess, and that, Lord, even in the times of discomfort and difficulty, we would just lay it all in your hands, bring it to your feet, that, Lord, you may carry us and make our burden light. And, Father, as we go our separate ways here, I pray for your hedge of protection around each and every person here. And, Lord, uh, Just direct us to be your people, to be the light in a dark world that truly needs you. And in Jesus' name we ask and we love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you.